Welcome, welcome, a warm welcome to our special Christmas service at Harrison Hills this year. We want to thank our worship and audiovisual team for braving the roads and the cold to be here that we might rejoice in not just the coming and birth of a king, but in the life, the death, and the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We pray this morning is a joyous and reflective time that is given to us by a sovereign God, a time that is given to us by the one who rules and who reigns over the affairs and the hearts of men, over all the world that he has made. Through our season of Advent, symbolized, of course, by our candles, we've celebrated the hope we have in this season. Of course, the preparations we make in our hearts for this time, we celebrate the joy that is a gift to those who know Christ and the love that is shed abroad in our hearts, both for one another and for a Savior that would save a people unto himself. And finally, we express adoration. Adoration for a king that is Lord over all creation, who is good and wise, who left heaven's throne, taking on human flesh and coming in a manger. That is the call of Christmas. So please join me as we open in prayer. Heavenly Father, we are immeasurably grateful that we have cause to celebrate this morning. Lord, without the promise and the truth of Christmas, we are indeed a people without hope. Remind us this morning, Lord, by the conviction and teaching of the Spirit, why Jesus had to come, why the manger was necessary, Lord, that we might hear the true call of Christmas afresh, Lord, that we might have life. Lord, attend to your people this morning. May our hearts be renewed and restored, replenished, and, and even reborn. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. All right, church, join with me in the reading of God's word from John chapter 1. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me has been ahead of me, for he existed before me. For of his fullness we have all received, and grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has seen God at any time, the only begotten God, who is in the bosom of the Father. He has explained him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, good morning. morning. (laughs) Once again, we're so very delighted to gather and to celebrate. I know that we are saddened that we cannot all be together this Christmas during this Well, really kind of once in a generation winter storms that have swept the nation. We are reminded of God's sovereignty in all things. And we're grateful for the technology that allows you to join us this morning online. Of course, this year has held countless joys for us. And yet we know that this has been a challenging year for so many, not only in our own church family, but we've experienced such continual reminders that 
we live in a fallen world, that we have fallen bodies and that we're not home yet. And yet the call of Christmas is a call to remember the Lord our God. And it is truly a remarkable reflection of the Old Testament to look back and to see how many times God and the prophets entreated the people to remember. In the midst of calamities that would make the challenges of our lives look mild for some of us, the call was always the same. Remember the Lord your God. Remember what he has done. Remember what he has saved you out of. Remember what he has rescued you from. Remember the call. Remember that a manger is coming. Emmanuel, God with us. Messiah is coming. And he will save his people from their sins. Beloved, stir yourselves up by way of reminder. Perhaps your world looks different than it did a year ago. I know many have experienced upheavals this year that would tempt even the most seasoned saint to entertain anxiety. And while some of the trials of 2022 are new to us, they are not new. We often lament with the writer of of Ecclesiastes that there's nothing new under the sun. That's one of my favorites. And while this is a lament, there is great encouragement and great hope in that truth. Because there is nothing new under the sun, we know that God, in his all-sufficient word, has already spoken to the state of our world. Meaning that his counsel has been rendered, his remedy has been sent, and his message has been given. That's the call of Christmas this morning. Thus, beloved, the joys and the trials of 2022, they require no new message. We tread the worn, wonderful paths of the same gospel. So it requires no new message, but a reminder. A call to remember the day that Jesus Christ broke into humanity. The day that time itself was split. That night in Bethlehem, reaching all the way back to the Garden of Eden, where a Savior was promised that would crush the head of the serpent. While the Spirit of the Lord hovered over the face of the deep in Genesis, Bethlehem was already in view. God already knew what he would do and how he would save a people unto himself. Beloved, God has already given the answer to the conundrum of the ages. How can man be forgiven? How can a holy God pardon sinful man without compromising his justice? As I was considering our text to reflect upon this Christmas morning, I was repeatedly drawn to the prophet Isaiah. And while we are in the Gospel of Mark in Harrison Hills on Sunday morning, some may recall that Isaiah is often referred to as the fifth gospel, right? Because of the spotlight that it shines on the coming Messiah, so often throughout its pages. Indeed, when Paul exhorted the Corinthians that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, some may ask what Scriptures Paul spoke of. Of course, all of Genesis to Malachi points to Messiah, to his coming rule and reign, and how he would come, how he would die. But Isaiah holds a special place in the prophets that would point to a Savior, that form the call of Christmas. So if you have your Bibles with us at home or those that are with us today, let us encourage ourselves in the prophet Isaiah this morning, turning to the ninth chapter 
focusing on verses 1, 2, and 6, and 7. 1, 2, 6, and 7. Listen to the call of Christmas. But there will be no more gloom for her who was in anguish. In earlier times, he treated the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali with contempt. But later on, he shall make it glorious. By the way of the sea, on the other side of Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. Those who live in a dark land, the light will shine on them. For a child will be born to us. A son will be given, and the government will rest on his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness. From then on and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you who are from everlasting to everlasting, we thank you on this special day for the call of Christmas. Lord, we know that many are joining us online today and are home warm in their hotel rooms or their homes. Lord, we ask that you would attend to your word as we approach it this special time of season. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would allow us in your mercy and in your sovereignty to receive the word with meekness, the implanted word. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Well, these are such tremendous verses in our text this morning. Of course, a a thorough treatment of it would take far more time than we have this morning. But let us see the beauty before us as we look to Isaiah's prophecy. Now, you may notice the title of chapter 9, some vary a bit, but you'll see it titled, Birth and Reign of the Prince of Peace. And many will recall verses 1 and 2 being quoted in Matthew 4 as being, of course, the very fulfillment of this prophecy. And yet here in verse 1, we see the promises given, not only amidst gloom and anguish, presumably here we're talking about actually the Assyrian invasion and the plunder, but the promise is wrought precisely at the point of sin. Now for many, the land of Zebulon and the land of Naphtali, that might not mean much to you. But understand that the tribes of Israel, these were given in the area that we speak of, but they were given a command by God. Drive out the Canaanites from among you. Drive out the Gentiles from among you. And Zebulon and Naphtali, as we see in our text, they did not do that. They were held in contempt. They disobeyed. They mingled with the Canaanites. They intermarried with them. They took on their pagan beliefs and their practices. And so we see in our context, our context comes in the midst of destruction of despair, of anguish and gloom that was wrought by disobedience. The night is black. And one region that we see mentioned very little of in the Old Testament is that of Galilee. Galilee. 
Now, most Christians spend more time in the New Testament than the Old. That's typically the way it happens. So Galilee is a familiar place and a familiar term for us, but not here. This region is in the north. This was a disobedient region whose co-mingling made it a veritable melting pot of Jews and Gentiles together, just as it was in Jesus' time. Of course, out of this sin, God reveals his plan and love for his people. A plan to save men, women, and children of every nation, tribe, and tongue. But not just Jews. But later on, he shall make it glorious by way of the sea, the other side of the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. Beloved, your heart had better leap within you when you hear that, because that's you. That's you. The Jewish Messiah is coming for Gentiles. We dare not miss this epic announcement seemingly tucked into a little bit of geography. God will save a people from every nation. When we get to heaven, we will meet Christians from every nation that ever was. By the way of the sea, on the other side of the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. What will happen there? Verse 2, beloved. The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. Those who live in a dark land, the light will shine on them. Could we not shout? Could we not camp on that for days? There is such beauty contained here. Now, most are probably not in the mood for a grammar lesson on Christmas morning, but we cannot miss this. Well, you notice here with me, beloved, we see the words will see and will shine. And if you look through verses 6 and 7, will do, will see. In the Hebrew, both verbs are given in the present tense. Now here in Isaiah, this is what is known as the prophetic perfect. Grab hold of this, beloved. Even though Isaiah is describing future events, meaning this is prophecy, The fulfillment of those events is viewed as so certain that they're translated with past tense as if they'd already happened. Glory to God. How sure are his promises? How sure is it that light will shine on those who lived and dwelled in darkness? This is not a wish and a hope. We know. In fact, it is so certain, I'm going to write it in the prophetic perfect. I'm going to write that which will happen as if it has already happened. Oh, why do we fret and worry, dearly beloved? The call of Christmas is certain. It is certain. It is fixed in stone. And not just any light would come. A great light. If you are in darkness, if you are in blackness of shadow, if even a small light is shown in there, it would make you squint, would it not? It would be visible from afar, would it not? Yet no small light would come, but a great light would come. In Greek, great means great. (laughs) It means great. Blinding. Cover your eyes. Now, for those of us that are in the Gospel of Mark, that is what we're seeing before us, is it not? A great light is shining. 
shining right in their eyes. And yet Israel and her leadership are covering their eyes. They're cupping their ears and they're cursing the light. They will kill the light. And part of the call of Christmas, beloved, is that men are without excuse. A great light has shone. It's blinding. It's right in your face. You're squinting from the brightness of it. Yet you close your eyes and you say there is no light. It is daytime in the light of the sun. There is no darkness in him, nor shadow of turning. The heavens declare the glory of God. The evidence is all around you. A great light shines, a tapestry of light, even to a star over Bethlehem. The land of Isaiah's day was dark and without hope. We were lost and without hope. But there is a promise, a promise so sure and true, it is written as if the future is present. In him was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. Therefore, we have the call of Christmas. Look with me down to verse 6, beloved. For a child will be Born to us. Born. Human parents. Behold the incarnation right before us. God made man. He was born. Beloved, if we miss this, we miss our entire salvation. If God did not come in human flesh, you and I cannot be saved. If he was not born, he could not die. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you're still in your sins. Paul tells the church at Corinth, for a child will be born to us. Praise God. And a son will be given to us. It will be given. Jesus is a gift. There is a reason many of you exchanged gifts this morning. It is because a son has been given to us. Glory to God. And the government will rest on his shoulders. I'm a literal millennial kingdom kind of guy. I believe this points to this very truth of Jesus' 1,000 year reign from Zion. Of course, in here we could swim in the depths of our description of this incredible gift. Five descriptions we see in verse 6. Five descriptions. And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. That's a five-part series right there. Say, that only sounds like four descriptions, brother. Not five. Hang on. We'll get there. So how do we begin? First, Jesus is wonderful. Wonderful. I love this excerpt from Adrian Rogers. He writes, quote, Jesus is wonderful. Everything about him is wonderful. His birth is wonderful. His life is wonderful. His works are wonderful. His words are wonderful. His death and his resurrection are wonderful. His ascension is wonderful. And his intercession for us is wonderful. His coming again is wonderful. I heard of a preacher who was on a train and 
He noticed a man that was looking out the window and as they passed the landscapes, as it was whipping by, and it was beautiful landscape, but that man kept saying, wonderful, wonderful. He'd pause and look for a while and he'd wipe some tears from his eyes and he would keep saying, wonderful. Now this preacher's curiosity was aroused and he went over and he sat by this man. And he said, I've never seen someone enjoy a train ride quite so much. Can you tell me why it is so wonderful? He said, sir, you don't understand. I've just had surgery, he said. I've been without sight for years and years. And now I'm seeing things that I'd long since forgotten. I'd forgotten how blue the sky was, how green the grass was, how beautiful the trees, how bright the flowers, he said. It's wonderful. It's wonderful. Might we remember how wonderful the gift of Jesus is this morning? Unfortunately, our English fails us a bit here on the first descriptive of the coming Messiah. We see wonderful and counselor together, right? As if Isaiah is describing the kind of counselor that the Messiah is. But these are not meant to be read together as one. They are two separate distinct words. He is wonderful, period. And he is our counselor. Period. He is our counselor, meaning he who advises and leads us. He who plans the course for our lives. Beloved, he takes counsel from no one, but gives wisdom and counsel to all who ask for it. It's all there in his word. And third, we see that he is the mighty God. How mighty is the Christ child lying in a manger? Jeremiah declares, Ah, Lord God, behold, you have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and by your outstretched arms. Nothing is too difficult for you. Who shows loving kindness to thousands? Who repays the iniquity of fathers into the bosom of their children after them? O great and mighty God, the Lord of hosts is his name. He is... Isaiah goes on, the everlasting father. Now hang on a minute. (laughs) Are you saying Jesus the son is God the father? No, that's called modalism. That's heresy. Isaiah is not saying that the father is the son. The Hebrew here, abiyad, ab meaning father, ad meaning eternal, which literally means the father of eternity. Meaning the son who is the king functions as a father would over his children. He acts like a father. He protects them. He feels affection and compassionate for his children. And so Jesus is. And so he is. And finally, the Messiah would come as the Prince of Peace. Jesus would make peace possible between God and man. We were at war with God. We were enemies of God in our minds through wicked works, Paul tells the Colossians. But there can be a peace. And that can only be ushered in by one, one who is perfect, one who is blameless, the true prince of peace. So very much more we could say on that. And finally, verse 7. There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice And righteousness from then on and forevermore. Now it would take days to dissect the intricate 
wonderfulness of these promises, the eschatological truths that are buried within it. But let us content ourselves with this. It has been inaugurated in Christ's coming. There will be no end to the peace that has been inaugurated. It has begun and will be completed. And what do we do with this? Upon what hope do we rest? As we look upon the manger, the cry of heaven is this. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. Who can raise a doubt? The one who spoke the universe into existence has set his zeal to accomplish this. Glory to God. That it began with him, and so it ends with him. With he who is called faithful and true. With him who began this good work in you. Who birthed this love in you. This alien love. This love that wasn't there before. He who began a good work in you is faithful to complete it. He's turning you into his son. That's what it means to be called of Christ. That's what it means to be sanctified. That's the call of Christmas. For those that walked in darkness, and thus we behold the wisdom of God, the wisdom that had ordained a way for the love of God to deliver us from the wrath of God without compromising the justice of God. He's made a way this morning. And it's all wrapped up in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. That's the true call of Christmas. It was always the plan, beloved. Back to the beginning, all the way to 2022, and forever into the future. There's no other plan, there's no other way. There's no other name given under heaven among men by which we must be saved. All this coming from a manger in Bethlehem. Beginning at creation, to the manger, to the cross, to those who are listening this morning. All one continuous beautiful thread in the tapestry of a faithful God. Jesus would be born fully God, fully man. He would live a perfect life, being the perfect sacrifice, rising and so defeating death and hell. If we examine our lives in honesty, none of us can say that we have kept God's law perfectly. We've all lied. We've stolen. We've dishonored our parents. We've dishonored God. We've used God's name in vain. Or we've simply failed to make God first in every area of our lives. No, none of us can say that we have kept God's law perfectly. And beloved, of course, that's what makes grace so beautiful. The realization that none of us have kept the law is the very purpose of the law. Paul writes in scripture that the law is a schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. When that babe appeared in the manger, he did not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it perfectly. And that perfect life, lived by the God-man Jesus Christ, is applied to the account of every believer in him. Where we broke God's law, Jesus kept it. And he kept it fully, causing him to be rejected by men. And those men would crucify him. The call of Christmas is not merely what we see and think about at the sight of a manger and of a nativity. 
that Jesus would have to leave the glory of heaven, that he would have to be conceived by the Holy Ghost, that he would have to be born of a virgin and come into this world was not a peaceful event of bliss. No, the call of Christmas is in fact a cross. It was a rescue mission for his children that would end in an agonizing death. This act of tremendous mercy toward us. This giving of believers to Jesus as a gift from the Father to the Son. Was accomplished and done not because there was something very special that God saw in each one of us. That he was obligated to save us. In fact scripture tells us that there was nothing good about us that God should desire to have us. You know what does God do? Out of great love for his son. And out of great love for those that he would save through his son. He does the unthinkable. And beloved that's what makes salvation so amazing. We had nothing to offer our king. We had no offering to bring. We carried no gold, no frankincense, no myrrh. Nothing to offer. Just our sin stained life. And because of the manger... There came a cross. Having committed no sin, being absolutely spotless, the Lamb of God was whipped. He was given a mocking crown of thorns, and he silently went to the cross in perfect obedience to the Father, where he bore our sins, where he suffered the Father's wrath, and he died the death that you and I deserved. The prophet Ezekiel looked forward to this day. He saw a day when a Messiah would come to save his people. And when he saves them, Ezekiel said that this Messiah will give them a new heart. And he'll give them a new spirit within them. That this Messiah will remove their heart of stone and he'll give them a heart of flesh. Who could imagine that with this manger scene in Bethlehem? Through this baby, the spiritually dead would be quickened. And made alive. Their behaviors would not just be changed. Their surface actions would not just be different. But they would be transformed from the inside out. Meaning the very nature of their person. Who they were would be completely undone and completely remade. They are a new creation. God loved us when we did not love him. That is a Christmas miracle. And we love Christmas, but let us be reminded why. May that deep and profound sense of joy in this season be grounded in the true call of Christmas. He came in a manger in Bethlehem that prophecy might be fulfilled. And he came in lowliness that we might remember our helpless estate before he saved us. He was born that we might be born again. Beloved, that is the unoriginal, well-worn, beautiful call of Christmas. So may we praise him anew this morning. Let's pray. Most merciful Heavenly Father, we we are overwhelmed by the great love with which you have loved us. Lord, that you fashioned a plan from the foundation of the world to save a people unto yourself. 
And through this holy night in Bethlehem, Emmanuel, God with us, you would save your people. Lord, we thank you for the call of Christmas. Lord, that you have planned this from eternity past, right onto every last heart this morning. So Lord, we remember you. We remember all that you have done, what you have saved us from, what you have rescued us for. We thank you, Lord, for this special time of year. Lord, may the call of Christmas burn bright in our hearts and in our lives as we walk out the truths of the gospel. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only God our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, now and forever. Amen. Merry Christmas.